during the Tkufa of the Ga'inim, which was the Tkufa in Klal Yisrael's history that was between the times of the Amirayim and the times of the Rishainim, there was a great Ga'in by the name of Rav Shrira Ga'in, one of the most famous, one of the most highly regarded of all Ga'inim. And it's brought that a story took place in his time. There was a very wealthy Jew who owned a Sefer Torah that was written by none other than Ezra HaSefer. Ezra HaSefer was obviously a leader in Klal Yisrael, the man who brought back um, Klal Yisrael from Golos Babel, and he happened to have been a cipher by trade, and this person that lived in the time of Shira Gain owned the Sefer of Ezra, of Ezra Cipher. Now this Sefer obviously was a very valuable Sefer Tyra, and it was very extremely coveted by people. People always wanted it, they wanted to see it. And th- this Sefer Torah, the fact that it was owned by this Gevir, gave him incredible fame by virtue of the fact that he was in possession of this great artifact. When this Gevir died, he left over two sons. And these two sons argued terribly about this Sefer Torah. Both wanted nothing other than that safer. Although the estate that their father left over was worth many, many millions of dollars, or the equivalent of that at the time, but yet they were both only interested in the safer tire. They didn't want to hear about the other money. They would gladly give the rest of the estate over to the other brother as long as they would be able to inherit this safer tire. And finally it was taken to a Bestin, and Bestin decided that the only way to resolve this dispute is to use a gyro to flip a coin, and by doing so they would be able to um, come away with some clarity about who would get it. One of the brothers got it, and the other brother became very enraged over the fact that he had lost the, uh, the gyro, and he could not be comforted. There was a certain mummer, a certain very evil person that lived in the city, and he was very upset by what he had seen. How, you know, they were bickering about this Sefer Torah and about how the brother was so unhappy over the fact that he lost the Sefer Torah even though he got the rest of the estate. And so one night, this mummer broke into the shul that the Sefer Torah was housed in. And the mummer opened up the Sefer to the Pasuk, It's a Pasuk in Shemais, Chav Gimel, means you will serve Hashem. But this mummer changed the ayin to an aleph. He took out his little blade and he, he took off the ice ayin and he changed it into the ibadetem, which is a lashon of ksira. Instead of abadetem, instead of I will serve Hashem, he changed it to the ibadetem and, I, and you will destroy Hashem 
Rachman Litzlan. And this person, you know, made the ink dry very quickly, put the saber tire back, and nobody knew about what he had done. Until they got to this parsha in Laning, and all of a sudden, you know, they caught this mistake, and it was a very, very big tumult that came about as a result of this switch between an ayin and an olive. And the person, the Yerish, who owned the Sefer Torah, became very depressed. After all, this was supposed to be the Sefer Torah of Ezra Sefer, and now it's puzzle. And he felt that if it would be corrected, if you would take a, a Sefer and have him correct it back to it the way it was, it would never really be anymore the Sefer Torah of Ezra Sefer. After all, it was puzzle, and now it was recaptured by another modern-day Sefer, and it would lose the whole chashivas, and he didn't know what to do, and he went to sleep very upset. And that night, his father came to him in a dream and said to him that if you look under the table, the dining room table in the house, you'll find that there's an eye, a human eye. And that is the eye of the mummer who had switched the ayin to an aleph because it was ayin tachas ayin. And as far as your concern about changing the Sefer Torah back through a Sefer, he says, don't worry about it. Ezra Sefer himself is going to come and he's going to change back the Ayin, the Aleph of the Ibadatem back to the Ayin of Ibadatem. And that's what happened. This is a story that was told, that took place during the time of Rav Shiragain when the Abderav, the Ayyav Yisrael, the great Hasidish Rebbe, he heard this story from the times of Rav Shur and he says, now I understand the Pshat in very cryptic and funny Psukim in Megillus Esther. In Megillus Esther, in Parak Zayin, Psukim Gimel Tehei, Esther is saying to Achashverosh as she's pleading for her nations on her nation's behalf, we were sold. Had we only been sold as slaves and as shvachos, I would be quiet. I wouldn't even make a big deal of that. I'd understand. And at this, when when Esther was saying this to the king. The king blew up and said, Who is plotting to do such a thing? Now this whole, these psukim in the Megillah is really tzarachian. Like if you're reading the Pshuta Shomikra in the Megillah, these psukim make no sense. What's she talking about? We were sold. We weren't sold. We were, there was a gezerah against us to be slaughtered. I mean, if we were sold or we weren't slaughtered, I mean, the, the Gemara says in the Megillah that we ended up not being sold. Achashverosh was Michael the money. But even besides for that, is that the biggest thing that we were sold as we were sold? And what does it mean? And if we were sold as Avadim and Shvachis, I'd be quiet. What, what's she talking about being sold as Avadim and Shvachis? And Bechlau, why was Achashverosh so, you know, so shocked? I mean, he was in cahoots. He knew full well what was going on. When he was there, he was there. 
Zokt Abderav, a tremendous Chiddush. He speculates as follows. He says that originally when Haman came to Achashverosh to buy Klal Yisrael, he never told Achashverosh that he intended to destroy them. What he did say, he said that I want La'avdom. La'avdom, when you're speaking about a word La'avdom, so it could be with an Ayin, it could be with an Aleph. He said that I want to buy them La'avdom in order to enslave them. Achashverosh thought that all Haman wanted to do was make them slaves. He never thought that he'd actually want to kill them. And in fact, when they wrote out the Shtar, when they wrote out the Gezeira, they wrote it Balashna Kaidesh that it should be sold Lavadim with an ayin. After it was signed and sealed by the ring of Achashverish, Haman goes and he changes the ayin into an aleph. From Laavdam with an ayin, he changes it to Laavdam with an aleph, just a switch. Just like the that mummer switched the Sefer Torah from an ayin to an aleph, from ba'avaditem to vi'ibaditem. That's what Haman did the same exact shtick. He changed the ksav of the gezerah from la'avdam to serve, that they should serve me, to, to be enslaved to me, to rather being la'avdam, that I want to destroy them. And the Seifra Melech then added Lahashmid Larogulaabe, but that was only after the Gezerah was already signed by Achashverish. Achashverish had no idea, according to this chat, that Haman's real intentions were to kill the Jewish people. And that would explain why he why why Esther says that if we would have only been sold, what does that mean? Because that was what Achashverish was led to believe. He thought that all we were going to be doing was being sold as slaves. And then Esther wouldn't have made a big simus about it. She wouldn't have made a big deal about it. And when Achashverosh heard that, he got enraged. He says, I entrusted Haman to write a normal star, and I read it, and he forged it after I had signed it and changed the ayin to an aleph. And the rest is history. Haman was killed, Haman was hanged on a tree, and Klai Yisrael were saved. What comes out from this shot of the Abderav is how sneaky, how sly, how underhanded was Haman Haman wasn't empowered to destroy the Jewish people. But he was so quick to switch an ayin and an aleph. He was so quick and he was so sharp and he was so sneaky that he was able to come this close to destroying the Amanivchar just merely by switching an ayin and an aleph. That's the whole kayak of Haman. He's a sneaky person. He's a person that's so sly that by merely switching an, ay- an aleph and an ayin, he almost was able to destroy Kalal Yisrael. We know the Gemaras in Megillah 
on the Chavdal and Mebez and in Brachas on the Mebez and Aleph say that two letters of the Aleph Bez that are very easily interchangeable is an Ayin and an Aleph. Ayin the Aleph and Mishalfin. You can switch them around. They're interchangeable for Drushas. And not only are they interchangeable for Drushas, but it's very easy for people to switch them around. And Haman knew this full well, and therefore he switched the Aleph and an Ayin. And with that, he almost destroyed Paul Yisrael. Such an easy thing, such a little slip a slight of the eye, an aleph for an ayin. And with that he was able to do what he almost did. When I was a little child, I was, uh, I think I was about 11 or 12 years old. And I don't know how or why, but my parents allowed me to go from Long Beach into Manhattan all by myself. I wouldn't let my son do that today until he's maybe, you know, married. But I was 11, 12 years old. I know that I wasn't bar mitzvah yet. And I took a train, the Long Island Railroad, which takes you straight from, straight from Long Beach Station, which is the last stop. And, um, it takes you all the way to Midtown Manhattan, to Penn Station. And I was going there. I don't know what I was going there for. I must have been going for shopping or something. And um, my parents gave me, I think I had $40 in my pocket, besides for a round-trip Long Island Railroad train ticket. And I get off the train, and I walk down the streets of Manhattan, and it's, you know, very impressive. Manhattan is a very, uh, you know, there's a lot going on there. It's a big, big metropolis. And, you know, a lot of action, a lot of people running through the streets, and businessmen, and and all, a lot of interesting things to see. And I was passing by a, a man on the street that was doing a car trick. And he had like a, a big cardboard box, or maybe two cardboard boxes, one on top of the other. And he was doing what's called a three-card Monty which is he had three cards like on the bulletin board outside, those three three cards with a little fold in them. And he was basically, there was one red card and two black cards. And he was going very quickly with his hands and, you know, to try to make people bet on if they could see which is the red card. And there was a lot of people around. And they were all like betting and they were having like a grand old time. And I saw that they were losing their money to the, to the dealer. And I, every time, knew which card it was. I knew that. I knew the red card was sometimes, you know, it was the right one, it was the right card, it was the left card, it was the middle card. But I knew which one it was, and everyone kept getting it wrong. They were losing their money. And then they all look at me, and like, I'm, the, I'm 11 years old. And they say, what do you think? Which card is it? I said, these guys don't know what they're talking about. It's okay, you know, but if you get it, you get $20. So, you know, they do it, and sure enough, I saw right away it was the middle card, and they gave me $20, and they said, you want a double or nothing? I said, okay, sure. So I took out a 20 from my pocket, and then I, I gave it to them, and then and I won again. <coughs> so they said, you want to double it again? I said, okay, sure, no problem. I took out another 20, and... 
And you know, all the people around me were like, well, you're like a genius, you're amazing, you know, it's unbelievable, you're like, you know, how, how do you do this? Like, we can't do this. You're like, and I felt like a million bucks. And that was before I lost a million bucks. I, I basically, at the last time, that was all the money that I had in my pocket. I lost, and you know, and he, he showed me that I had the wrong card. And I mamish, you know, the, like the blood was coming into my head. And I mamish felt, you know, Abel v'chafoy rush, to borrow an expression from the, from the Megillah. I couldn't believe it. You know, then afterwards I, I read up on it and there was like this, it was all one big scam. It was all one big scam. There's like a, a dealer and then there's the shills, you know, those the people around that are, they, they were all employed by this guy and I was the mark, I was the one that, you know, that was going to fall for it and, I, and then, you know, and then right away they took the, the cardboard box away because the cops were coming and that was it. And I remember sitting on the long, thank goodness that I had a, a, a you know, a, a round trip ticket. Otherwise I wouldn't, I'd probably still be there right now. Um, but it really like, I, I remember sitting on that train going home and thinking of like every way my parents are going to shaft me for losing that money. And, and um, I felt like such a loser. I felt like I was scammed so bad, like I wanted that money back so badly. And that's the Kayach of Haman. Haman is a dealer. Haman is a scam artist. He's not so smart necessarily, he's just clever. And he plays dirty. He was able to kill, to almost come close to killing Klai so just by switching an ayin for an hour. He switched the card so quickly that Achashverish fell for it. And because of that, Klal Yisrael almost went with Kilayin. Almost went down to, to nothing. All because of a little game of three-card Manti that Haman played with Achashverosh. And Achashverosh was fooled just like I was fooled. This is not something that Haman does by himself. The Eitzahara does this all the time. The Eitzahara is also a master dealer who knows the old switcheroo how to change an alien, an ayin and make it into an aleph. There's a Gemara. The Gemara is in Saitan, the Avchafam and Aleph. Rav Meir was a cipher. Rameir was a cipher, and he says that I have a great new product to bring to market. I'm not using the regular DI, the regular ink that all other cipher use. I'm starting to use something called Kankantum. What's the mile of Kankantum? Kankantum is a type of ink that's indelible. It doesn't smear and it doesn't, and it dries right away, and you can't so easily erase it. You can't erase it at all. It's a permanent marker. And what's the mile of using that over other things? And there's a discussion in the Gemara whether or not it's even mutter to use kankantum for other reasons, because Parsha Saita has to be written in such a way that you actually can erase it. So how do you use kankantum? But he, when he was describing the greatness of using this di called kankantum, he says that... The Im Asi Zivov, 
the Yosef Atage de Dalid Mamchikle Umashvile Resh. If you don't use Tantantum and you use a regular DIA, he says, a lot of times you're going to write as a safe, you're going to write the letter Dalid, and it's going, a fly is going to land on the corner of the Dalid and make it into a Resh. And so the Milo Kankantum is that that will never happen. So Rashi right away, Bavarns, what, what, which, which Dalit is it making into a race? What's the, what's the tragedy over here? So Rashi says, and the Mepharshim explain, Kigain Dalit de Echad. The Dalit in the word Echad of Shema Yisrael Hashem Lekein Hashem Echad. The Zavuv comes and sits on the corner of that Dalit and makes it into a race. So instead of it reading Shema Yisrael Hashem Lekein Hashem Echad, now it's going to read Shema Yisrael Hashem Lekein Hashem Acher Afro Lepume. Rachman Lutzlan to say such a thing. Hashem Acher. There's another God, as in Leishtachav El El Acher. The Zavov will sit on the corner of the Dalit and make it into rage. Now that I make an Antum, it's not going to happen. A, a Zavov, even if he lands right after I write it, it's not going to smudge it into a rage. And I thought that the Pshat in the Gemara is that the Zvob is always the Yitzhahara. Chazal call the Yitzhahara Zvob like a fly that stands, that sits upon the, the parts of the heart, the two different chalakim of the lave, and keeps on flying back and forth and constantly tries to attempt him our lave and to seduce our heart to do other things that we shouldn't be doing. And the Zvob very often sits on the corner of a Dalit and makes it into a Resh. Now, how does this Vuv do that? How does the Eight Sahara have the ability to change a Yid from believing in Hashem Echad to going over to the dark side and believing Rachman Litzlan Hashem Acher? Is it possible for Yeshiva Bacher, who's sitting learning Yom Balayla, to ever believe that Hashem Acher? How is that possible? How does the Yitzhara do it? It does happen occasionally, but how? And I think the answer is that you have to look at the beginning of the Pasuk of Shema. Shema Yisrael, there's two letters in the Pasuk of Shema that are larger than the other letters. And it's in every sitter. If you open up any sitter in front of you, you'll see by Shema Yisrael there's a big ayin in the word Shema, and there's a big Dalid in the word Echad. And Hashem Shurafal Hirsch explains why these two letters are larger. He says, Shema, the word Dalid, the letter Dalid is large, probably, he writes, to prevent it being changed for a resh, which would make it read Acher, just as in That's like the Gemara in Saita. We don't want ever a person to even begin to believe that Hashem Acher, so we make a big fat Dalid as if to say, remember that it's not Acher, it's Echad. And then he says, the reason for the large Ayin in Shema is not so evident. It's not so clear why we have a large Ayin. Perhaps it is, it is to indicate that it should be distinctly Stressed, not to sound like Shema, perhaps 
Shema versus Shema. We have a large iron in order to emboss in our brains that it's not Shema Yisrael, Hashem Lekena Hashem Echad, it's Shema Yisrael. You have to hear and listen and comprehend and really believe fully that Hashem Lekena Hashem Echad. It cannot be Shema. It cannot be Shema. It has to be Shema. It can't be a suffix in your mind. But I believe that's how the Sahara, the Zvuv, is able to change a Dalit into a Rej, but not just because, you know, one day you wake up and you believe that Hashem Acher Rahman Ulfan. He starts slowly. The Sahara is like Haman. He also knows how to play the switcheroo game between the Aleph and the Ayin. And when you're not looking, he changes from Shema with an Ayin till he rode that ayin and make it into an aleph. And before you know it, it's going to read Shema. Shema! It's a suffix. And once something is a suffix, once he's convinced you that it's not a thousand percent clear that Hashem lekein Hashem echad, once he convinces you, just take it easy, cool down, don't be such a, you know, a religious fanatic. Maybe there's another, there's other beliefs, there's other rooms for other shittas in life once he changes the ayin so cleverly into an aleph, then a person could believe anything that he is led to believe, even changing the echa to an echa. That's the kayach of Haman, and that's the kayach of the Sahara to change the ayin into an aleph. To change the ayin into the aleph so stealthily, you don't even see it. It's so fast. He does it so quickly. He does it so quickly and so cleverly that you don't even see it coming. And before you know it, you're led to doing whatever you want in life. That's how he's able to take us away from what we're supposed to be doing. Not immediately, but quickly, in a stealthful way. You know, this week, Klal Yisrael were zeichet to a very big treat. They had found, I'm sure you've all seen it online, they found some old movie footage of the Chavetz Chaim. I don't believe there was ever any moving videos of the Chavetz Chaim. very few pictures of the Chavetz Chaim. We have maybe, uh, maybe three or four pictures all together of the Chavetz Chaim. The Chavetz Chaim was the most famous, you know, Gadol in Jewish history in the last, you know, in the last few hundred years. And there's so few pictures of him. We have one passport picture of him. There's a picture of him learning, sitting over Gemara learning. There's another picture by his house, Rebbe Hanan, or, or his son, depending on whose version of the story it is. But we have mamish few pictures. All of a sudden, this week, of all weeks, we get a beautiful, clear photo video of the Chavetz Chaim walking into the Knesia Gedaila in Vienna, 1923. There are many other Gedailim in this video, by the way, also. They have, you know, they, right away they jumped on it and they found in this it's a few-minute video, the Rebbe Hanan is walking in and, and the, the Chartkever is walking in and, 
and the Chavis Chaim son-in-law is working. A lot of people were, you know, they have a lot of very interesting people that you see on video that we never thought we would see on video. But the Chavis Chaim Bifrat is the most, you know, valuable of all personalities that we actually have footage of. And he's walking in just as you would picture the Chavitz Chaim walking. It wasn't like out of character at all. This is exactly what I was thinking in my mind how the Chavitz Chaim would look and how the Chavitz Chaim would walk. It's exactly the way you'd picture it. Mamash, he's walking. He never put his hands beneath his waist, you know, and he, uh, he was walking Mamash like this and hunched over and, and he was diminutive in size, but there was an aura of greatness to him and he saw all the people around how they were so machabed him. We came very close to actually seeing, you know, close up his fa- of his face, and at the last minute, like some guy comes and puts his hands up on the camera. I think it was sort of like a gift that the Rebbeinu Shalom sent Klal at a time that we needed so so desperately. You know, when perhaps we're weakening in the Golos, and we really need Mashiach, and we need that Amuna that the Chavetz Chaim always gave us. You know. It's as if HaKadosh Baruch Hu maybe is telling us that keep the Amuna strong. And the Chavetz Chaim was the Chavetz Chaim. The Chavetz Chaim was the Gadol Hadairis. The Chavetz Chaim was the Baal Sefer Chavetz Chaim with the Shmir Salashen. He was, of course, the Paisik Achran with the Mishnabura. He was the father of Ta Yisrael. But there's an interesting story that's not necessarily so well known. And that is that when the Chavitz Chaim was a young orphan, he was living in Vilna. And he had a reputation, even as a young child, of, as being a brilliant, brilliant young man and a rising star. And during that time, this is in the 1800s, the Haskalah was at its, at its climax. The Haskalah movement was a movement that was founded by people that wanted to be the Torah that we have and try to change it and distort it and make Judaism a much more user-friendly religion and open it up to science and, and to culture and not feel so, you know, so sequestered into ghettos, but rather be able to blow open the gates of the ghettos and be able to join the world at large in a very free and open way. And there was a certain person, one of the leaders of the Haskalah movement, and his name was Avram Deivber Levinson. He was a writer that used the pen name Adam Hakayim. And when this person found out about the Chavetz Chaim, about the young Chavetz Chaim, that little Yisrael Meir Kagan, he, and that he was learning a little twice in a little base medrash in Vilna, he went to meet the Chavetz Chaim, to meet the young Yisrael Meir. And he spent hours in conversation with him, trying to get the young Yisrael Meir to join the Askala movement and to join his rabbinic seminary in Vilna. There was a water carrier that saw what was going on, a very Pashriyid, and he understood that the Chavetz Chaim, the young Yisrael Meir, was maybe, possibly, somehow being influenced by this leader of Ma'askala. And so he told him, run away. 
He told the Chavetz Chaim, he told this little boy, he says, get away, run away from, from this clays, don't go back, go into hiding somewhere else, because these people will sap you of all your strength, of all your Kedusha, and they will take you to their side. They will take your clarity of Emuna and make it from a Shema to a Shema. And then from there they'll do whatever they want with you. And the Chavetz Chaim for the rest of his life, for the rest of his life until he was a very, very old man, he used to do two things. He would always refer to this person, this Adam HaKayin, even though he was a Yid, he would always say after his name, Yimach Shemai even though that was very unlike the Chavetz Chaim to do. We don't do that about Jews, generally speaking. We reserve that title for Goyim. But about this one year, he felt that it was appropriate to use that, those words, Yimach Shemai V'Zichra, because of the poison and the tumor that he was to call Yisrael. And also, he was always Makir tied to this Pashto water carrier, because he felt that Imamish saved his life. And in doing so, he didn't only save his life, but he saved all of our lives. Because had the Chavetz Chaim, Nachman not been the Chavetz Chaim, then I don't know what our generations would look like. The Akpadov, Shmir Zaloshan, the Diktuk of the Mishnabura, all of these things we wouldn't have. It would be a different generation altogether. There's no doubt in my mind that without the Chavetz Chaim, we wouldn't look the way we are. Period. One man changed the world. And it's all because of a man behind the scenes, a simple water carrier, who saved the Chavitz Chaim. But the point is that the Haskalah movement was able to do the same switch. This is the Eitzahara. He's able to do the three-card Monty trick, and when you least expect it, all of a sudden the Ayin magically turns into an Aleph. And the Shema, the clarity that we thought we had, suddenly becomes... A suffix. It's a suffix. I don't know. It's Shema. Shema. Yisrael Hashem. Maybe. Maybe not. Could be. Could be not. And this is something that we have until today. We have this until today. This Yitzhahara and this Haman plagues us. Arayim. It may not be in the form of Haskalah Mamish because... Today, people aren't, you know, into those types of things so much, Baruch Hashem, anymore. It takes the form in other ways. Today, we have websites with blogs. And I can't tell you how many Bachim and Yeshiva and outside of Yeshiva have come over to me with questions in Amuna. Basic questions in Amuna. I don't believe this. I don't know if I believe that. I'm slipping about this. I'm not sure. And most of the time when I start asking them questions about where their sveikas arose from, did it just, you know, you just stopped, went from learning a Ketais and then you had an epiphany that, you know, that, uh, you know, that maybe their, you know, Tyre Sinai is not 100% true. But we were looking at a certain blog and, you know, the blog said this and the blog said that and it was a very, you know, it seemed like a person that wrote the blog was very, was thought these things out and, you know, brought a lot of cogent arguments against a lot of the things that we grew up believing. This is the Sahara. This is the Sahara that tells you, don't read it Shema, but read it Shema. It's the same Haman. It's Haman who changes 
the ayin of la'avdam to an aleph of la'avdim, it's the same Yitzhahara that changes the Shema from Shema into a Shema with an Aleph, from an Ayin to an Aleph. Sometimes it's not necessarily in the form of a blog. It might be in the form of a motion picture that involves biblical topics. That also is a very big cause for people losing their munapshuta watching, you know, blockbuster films describing and depicting Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim and other sort of things, the, what Yosef HaTzadik looked like, what Moshe Rabbeinu looked like. All of these things are things that really weaken and really undermine the very basis of our, of our Amunah. Our Amunah is supposed to be Amunah Pshuta. I don't have all the answers, by the way. When people come to me and say, what about this? I don't know. I don't know. It's good questions. I don't know the answers. I do know one thing. I, that we have a Messiah to believe that the Rabbi Yisham took us out of Mitzrayim. And we believe that the Rabbi Yisham took us out of Mitzrayim with Nisim Guluyim. And that the Eser Makas happened. And that Kriyas Yamsov happened. And that Matan Taira happened. And that the Aves existed. And that the Imais existed. And that the Nisim that are described in the Gemara, in Tayyar Shabal they all happened. I believe that with my whole heart. You're going to ask me questions, you're going to bring me carbon dating. I'm not Mukhliyev to answer that. I'm not that smart, I'll admit it, I'm not that smart. Go to the, there are professional people involved in Kirov and Discovery programs that have answers to these questions. I'm not that smart. All I know is that Shema Yisrael Hashem Hashem Echad. I say Shema with a big ayin, and I say Echad with a big dalid, and that's the edus that HaKadosh Baruch Hu expects from each and every one of us. And if we allow the Sahara to come in and be a Haman and change the ayin to an Aleph, then you have to understand that that is how Kal Yisrael will meet their fate. Haman did it in one way, he changed an ayin to an Aleph and almost directly destroyed Kalal Yisrael Biyadayim. This is a much more subtle way of destroying Kalal Yisrael. The other switcheroo of the Ayin to an Aleph, the Shema to a Shema, but it's probably more dangerous. There have been many more people that are lost to assimilation than that were lost to the Holocaust. Many more. There are six million Jews lost in the Holocaust. There's tens of millions of Jews in America today that don't know an Aleph from an Ayin, literally. And it's all because of the Shema, the generational decline, the, the erosion of our amuna, which allows us to basically just go and, and lose many, many millions of Jews to, as Dr. Lander used to call, the university campuses, the crematorium of America. A very strong way of saying it, but it's true. The Shema, the open-minded Haskalah ideas that, you know, Judaism is too restrictive. I don't know if I believe it. Before you know it, it's Hashem Acher. And it's something that we have to battle. We have to do battle. We cannot just roll over and play dead and imagine that you know it's not happening just because it's not happening maybe to us personally. It's happening to people all around us. People that we grew up in high school with that are going off the derech as quickly as can be. There are people in this yeshiva, let's not kid ourselves, there are boys in this yeshiva that are very borderline. 
Not many, Baruch Hashem. But there are a handful, and not just in this yeshiva, in every great yeshiva in the world. I was a bacher in, 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 in a very, very chashur yeshiva. I'm not going to say which one. And I had a, a roommate who was a wonderful boy. He was the frumest boy I ever knew. He had a white shirt and he had black pants every single day of the week. And he was, he had payas, and he was a tzaddik of a boy. And one day he said to me, Maisha, do you mind if we have a talk? So I said, sure. We always used to talk on the roof of the yeshiva building. That was where all, and that was our clubhouse. So we would go up to the roof of the building, and, and we were talking up there, and he says, I don't know if I believe. I said, you don't believe? If you don't believe, then who should believe? I don't know, you know, there are billions of Arabs, billions of Christians, you know, it's a big world out there, the whole world can't be crazy. I said, what, what got into you? Anyway, what happened was, he was having a lot of tsars at home. He had a lot of tsars at home, his parents were like close to, you know, he, he had a lot of issues with his family. And because of that, he had tainus on the rabbinish and that sort of, you know, and he was fine. Today he's, he's a rabbi in yeshiva, he's a shemit mitzvah, and he's a wonderful family, a great person. But it happens. It's not so hard for the Yitzhara to switch the ayin for the aleph. Very easy. It happens very quickly. Before you know it, ayin, aleph, aleph, ayin, it's back, it's fine, it's gone. And we have to be very careful that we don't allow ourselves and the people around us to be able to, to be fooled, to be conned by the Sahara, by the Haman, who just so easily is able to dupe us. How are we able to recharge our batteries? If we're feeling a little schwach in this cold winter, and this cold winter of the last 2,000 years of Golos, and we feel that the Aleph and the Ayin are beginning to sort of morph into each other a little bit. How are we able to once again get strong and get empowered again to fight the Sahara and to not be duped? I want to read to you a great Jewish letter that was written by Rav Hutner I'm going to read it to you in English. It's really much better in the in the in the original Hebrew and the Pachad Yitzchak, but the translator did a great job. So I'm going to just uh, use the English, and um, it's a it's really it's called the scene in a rooftop sukkah. But to me, this is it might have happened on sukkahs by Simchas Pesach Shoeva, but to me, this is Purim. This is Purim. Rav is writing a letter to one of his Talmidim. And he offered him advice and encouragement and care and concern. This is the Lashon of the letter. He writes, let me now pinpoint the moment. This is cutting into the middle of the letter. Let me now pinpoint the moment in the recent past to which my memory returns. The time is one of the evenings of Chalamayet Sukkis. The event is the gathering of Simchas Beis HaSheva. The place is the spacious sukkah full of celebrating people on a high rooftop, distant and apart from the people below. The interior of the sukkah is filled with a melody of deep tunes, 
aimed at the very root of the godly spirit that resides in the soul. One of the songs is a wondrous blend of a majestic melody with the words of Akashalti. The melody flowing from the violin and the words flowing from the mouth rise together to their climax in profound emotion at the words that I dwell in the house of Hashem all the days of my life to behold the delights of Hashem and to contemplate in His sanctuary. My glance, says Rav Hutner, happened to fall on your face, and the face was full of tears. It was nothing new to me to see tears on your face. I have seen you thus so many times. On those occasions, however, there was no one present but the two of us, and the discussions concerned those moments of distress that came and went in your life to which I was privy. But those tears of the Simchas Beis HaShoeva, those tears that dripped and flowed before the entire assemblage, were of a different category entirely. Just as it is possible to draw water from a pitcher, or from a river, or from a fountainhead, so it is possible for tears to come from a pitcher of the soul, or a river of the soul, or a fountainhead of the soul. As you are aware, Simchas Beis HaShoeva is only celebrated when water is drawn from a fountainhead. It was plain to see that your tears then at the Simchas Beis HaShoeva were drawn from the Mayan, from the fountainhead of your soul. And wonder of wonders, those tears transformed the skin, the R with an ayin of your face, to the light, to the R with an aleph of your face. I have never seen so concrete an example of the grammatical rule that an ayin and an aleph may be interchanged. The ayin of your face, the the R, the skin of your flesh, can suddenly be changed in the right atmosphere from an ayin from the skin with an ayin to the word R with an aleph, the light radiating from your face. If your memory serves you, Rebhutner ends the letter. If your memory serves you, you have certainly not forgotten that. At that moment, I caressed your face with my finger before the entire assemblage. Come, I will reveal to you the intent of my caress. My desire in touching you was to transform the abstract light into something concrete, something touchable by the fingers. Did I succeed in my caress? You must answer that. That was the nusach of the letter of the Pachad Yitzchak. And that to me is what Purim is all about. Purim is a day that we're able to transform Bikdusha, the Ayin, to the Aleph. Just like Haman and the Yetzirah spend the whole year with the three-card Monty switching the Ayin to the Aleph, we have one day a year that we could do the same, but in the right way. We also switch an Ayin to an Aleph. But we switch if we're careful and we are diligent and we're in the right place at the right time with the right Kavanas, with the right Hevra, we're able to change the R of our face, the skin, the flesh, the Gashmias, 
we can suddenly change it into the most ruchniyistic experience possible. A light that's emanating from our faces that will shine the entire year through. A whole year worth of light and ruchnius and kedusha and taira and emuna pshuta and emuna shlema and haida and akaras and Ava, and Nisim, and Yira, and Pachad. All of this on one day. If we do Purim right, we can undo all of the erosion of the year. All of the ions that were flipped to Aleph, we can flip a new ion to an Aleph. We can make the ion of Gashmias into Ruchmias. And I see it every year. I'm no reporter at all. But I see every single year how Bachrim come into a Purim and the day after Purim they're changed. But there's one night Purim doesn't work by itself. Purim is not like an automated machine. You have to be in the right place on Purim in order for this to happen. You have to be in the right frame of mind. You have to be with the right people. You can't go to places on Purim that are not Alpi Ruach Yisrael Sabo and expect that the dividends of Purim, that the light of Purim will shine on your face as well. You have to be at the right place. You have to be with the right Hebra. You can't make these parties and these things and these Tarubas and all this and expect for Purim. You're ruining the one, besides for the Isser Shabbai, you're losing the most precious day of the year by not taking advantage of being in the right place on Purim. And I'm not saying that there are that there's only one right place to be on Purim. But I know at least one very special place, and that's what I'd like to invite each and every one of you to. And that is the world famous Purim Shack. Purim Shack, for those of you who don't know what it is, I'll give you a little historical background. Um, when we bought our house, well, let me give you more of a background. Um, before we moved to Queens, we lived in Brooklyn. And we rented an apartment in Flatbush. And for the first few years that I was in Mashkiach, in Yeshiva, the boys used to come from Queens to Brooklyn on Purim to be by me. And one time a, a boy was a little bit over-exuberant and he was a very heavy boy at that and he was, first he, he basically broke the dining room table in our house and then for good measure he fell backwards and he was like, you know, the cartoon characters that go through the wall and you see the, the silhouette of the character through the wall. That's basically what my dining room wall looked like. And I knew that when we moved into our new house here in Queens that my wife would not in any way countenance, you know, a rerun of that. So I didn't know what to do. I was thinking maybe we'll make a yeshiva or whatever. And then the person that, had, that we had bought the house from before us, he, um, he built like a strange annex to the garage. We have like a detached garage in the back of our house. And he sold amplifiers. Um, that was one of the things he did for a living. He needed a place to store them, so he had somebody build, or maybe he built it himself, 
like a very like a crude shack um, that would annex the garage with a door, and it was like a funny shape. It was like a you know long and thin, and you know maybe I don't know maybe forty feet long by by ten feet wide, and and like I didn't know what I would do with this. Well, you know, what do you do with such a room? It's such a funny to keep bikes in there and keep you know I don't know what do you do. And all of a sudden, like it dawned on me that this would be a great perm room. Perfect. You take two long tables, you put it right down the center. It's indestructible, the room, because it's brick on one side and it's, it's plywood on the other. There's really nothing that my wife could ever have kindness on me if anything breaks in there. And so we'll try it. And that room became Mamish, the Kedesh HaKadoshim. Because every single year, the guys were like, not just the guys in yeshiva, but the guys that used to be in yeshiva, you know, and people in the neighborhood, everybody knows that, you know, if you want to have a little bit of a time of Purim on Purim, you come to the shack. <laughs> and, and that's how it happened. And before you know it, you know, years and years and years, we've had Baruch Hashem, beautiful Purims in that room. And, and I kid you not, people come, sometimes they ask, like, if they're, they, need, they need to, you know, have a shidduch or some Yeshuas. Even in the middle of the year, they'll go and they'll ask, if they could dive in that room. And I'm not joking. It's a very holy room. It's a very holy room. And it's a place that I believe radiates our. Radiates our. It's, a, there's, there's, there's just, it's for people that are serious about coming on Purim and hearing Debrei Taira, hearing Debrei Sairus, davening, singing, good food, going to be hot food this year especially because I don't know, you have to bring your coats, it's not a winterized room, but we'll take care of that also and Mitzvah Hashem, you're all invited after Mincha and Purim to Misameach until your Rabbeim Sudas after that there are buses that come and pick you up from from the shack and take you to your, your Rabbeim's house, wherever they are but it's important that on Purim you stay safe and sheltered and in a holy kosher environment. Don't say that, well, I'm, you know, if you're going home, you're going home. It's not, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, you know, it's not a prison. But don't leave the shack in order to go and opt to go to, to some wild party somewhere else on Purim. That's not what Purim is all about. Purim is Purim. Purim is a day, it's Pam Achas Bashana. It's no, it's like it's like going on Yom Kippur somewhere, you know, spending a day in some wild place. It's not, a, it's not a day to do that. It seems like it because people think that Purim is some wild day. It's not a wild day. It's a day of intense Kedusha. A lot of fun, but it's an intense Kedusha. And if you're at the right place, it could really transform your face from the ayin of the R that we have during the rest of the year to an aleph, to the R with an aleph, a radiant light that could shine and you'll see it in your own face and in the face of everybody around you. And that's how we should be zeichet to on Purim and the R should be an R Haganas which, which we'll be able to see from this Purim until the coming Purim, HaBa'aleinu L'Tayva and Amir Tzashem, this is the only way to combat Amalek, to combat Haman, to combat the Sahara, who constantly tries to switch the ayin for an aleph, we'll show him this Purim, how to really switch an ayin for an aleph, how to make the ar hakedusha come out of us to instill in us once again how true the Torah is, how true the Rabbanu Shalom is, 
and how eternal the Netzach Yisrael is. Shall have a wonderful Shabbos and a Mitzvah Shem of Freilich and Kashrim Purim.